Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Thank you, Jess. Fantastic. Uh, the government rule we weren't allowed to sing in church and we weren't allowed to uh, sing from the stage either, but I think it got changed on Friday. And um, so we're able to have Jess come in at the last minute and do that. So that was. Absolutely fantastic. Nice to see you all. I haven't got a clue who's here. Um, looks like the National Bank Robbers Convention. <laughs> so don't forget to nod and give me the thumbs up if I say something good. Um, if you're seething at me, I won't be able to tell. So that's, that, that's a good thing too. Um, real thrilled to have Dan and Lizzie back from Singapore. Gee, they were here for my birthday yesterday and we sat down and had a meal. It was one of the great thrills of my life after... Not seeing them for so many years, so that was terrific. I just wanted to say how followable Craig and Carly are. They're just beautiful in leadership. And uh, Ivan this morning was having words for people. Ivan can do that thing. He has a word for someone and he weeps over them. I, I try to do that and I'm like, <laughs> it just doesn't come out. It's, it's just beautiful, Ivan, when you, when you do that. There's so much um, power in that. Uh, yeah, and Craig's message this morning on identity was just one of the best messages I think he's ever preached or we've had in the church. So, because identity is a real deal for the younger generations in particular, it seems to be the number one thing that the enemy attacks. And uh, gee, I thought it was it was a helpful message. Anyway, let me start tonight's message. We're sharing about blind spots, and I want to start with a joke that's true of my life. Um, this guy was worried that his wife was going deaf. And so when he got home from work, she had her back to him um, in the kitchen and she was cooking dinner. And he goes, what's for tea tonight, dear? And there's no answer, so he says it a bit louder. What's for tea tonight, dear? She's, there's still no answer. And he was getting really hassled because she was going deaf, so he moves closer and closer. When he's right behind her, he's going, what's for tea tonight, dear? <laughs> she swings around, she goes... For the fourth time, I said chicken. In other words, he was going deaf. And this happened to us, <laughs> not the chicken one. This is a couple of months ago. I was getting some Specsavers glasses. And now Specsavers do this thing where they test your hearing when you're there as well. And the guy goes, oh, you've got a hearing problem. Come in. And he did some more tests. And he says to me, your right ear's got a bone growth. Um, and it's a lot deafer than your left ear. And the computer showed up this stuff and it said, you will get uh, like, you know, S mixed up with TH. There were three sounds that you get wrong when you've got this thing. And it was really funny because about four days before that, I'm thinking, Ros never listens properly. She never gives the right answer to what I'm saying. But again, it was me that had the problem. And I didn't find out till I went to Specsavers. I, you just naturally blame the other person. So blind spots are not a good thing. And I was thinking about that, how in Christianity, if we can't admit that we do have blind spots at times or weaknesses, um, if, we can't, if we can never admit that, our growth gets really stunted. Our, our growth factor stays low. And I know some amazing Christians that are incredible growers, and I've seen some of them like Brian Houston, you know, literally change the world, but I was always amazed at how honest they were with themselves about their own weakness. Let me just read to you from the 
Bible. I, th- I think trolls are the classic example because you know how they sort of overreact with the most incredible hatred just because you disagree with something they don't like. But to a lesser extent, our blind spots can be a bit like that. I know they're not as bad as that, but they're there. But let me just read this section. I'm not going to preach from this. This is just the principle. Do not judge. This is from Matthew 7. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother or your wife, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So the Bible tells us not to judge. And after I've read that, I'm thinking if we do judge the person we should be The most important judgment to get right is what we judge about ourselves. But where I want to take you tonight, you won't be able to go there with me unless you understand how much God loves you because I I want to take on a little bit of journey on being able to admit your own weakness and how God's okay with it and he's approachable with it. Because we all think because we've got weakness, he's cranky and we we can't pray. Don't, Don't make that mistake. I've just written, don't be perfect, but keep on growing towards Christ. Um, I was reading the other day in one of my devotionals in Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, uh, Brian Simmons is talking about a scripture out of Songs 8.6 where it says, my love is stronger than the chains of death and the grave. And it's like God talking to us. This is what he says, and I, I want you to get this, because it's no good if you don't get this, I take you and make you look at your weakness. It'll just freak you out. But if you know you're loved and you look at your weakness, then it's a whole different deal. God's love is inescapable. It seems odd that he would compare his love to something like death. Nobody escapes the grave. Death, once it holds you, will not let go. This is what God's love is like. Just as the grave will not release its victims, so Jesus' love will not surrender you or ever let you go. He will draw you into his loving arms continuously for your entire life. If you know that, all of a sudden you're safe to look at your strengths and your weaknesses and be confident in your strengths and be confident that God can help you with the weaknesses. Um, I've noticed this about pastors that have moral falls because sometimes I'm involved at the end of trying to pick them up and and get them back on track. The most common thing I see with the ones that, you know, end up out of the ministry and never come back is this. Um, uh, So I'm I'm not putting them down because there'll be reasons why they do stuff, but it's wrong. And they've betrayed people that were trusting them. So it's different if one of them goes repents, you know, and goes, I've committed adultery, I need to stand down, and they come up and say it. But if they get busted when they're doing it and haven't told anyone and get stood down, it's kind of a different different deal. But I've I've noticed this with the ones that I don't see make any ground and they backslide. Um, They're very legalistic in their preaching before they get busted. I, I don't know why that is, and I can't explain that to you. Um, and when they do get busted, they blame everyone else without any mention of their own sin or betrayal. Just, just an interesting thing. And to me, the tragedy is 
restoration could be there, there for them, probably not to their position, but, you know, in life and in relationship, it could be there for them, but they can't admit the thing and they judge everyone and it just, you know, it's like you can't be friends with someone who's judging you all the time, can you? So they end up lonely. It's, it's just a sad thing. And so for us to be able to look at our own stuff is a really important issue. Uh, so first point. Blind spots confine you to your past. They keep you in darkness and block out the sun, (laughs) block out light, block out Jesus. Are you willing to take a look at yourself objectively and observe if you have them? Um, So I think, yeah, nah, can't can't think of any. Well, all all you've got to do is ask my wife. She'll she'll tell you. She'll go, there they are. Let me pull out the list. (laughs) Um, But you do need friends that can talk truth with you, don't you? And in some ways, here's a bit of the thing I wanted to get to, how some of the people I like in the Bible, Peter, Thomas, the thief on the cross, the woman at the well, and Martha, were all people who were able to cope with Jesus pointing out one of their blind spots. And, And they all had beautiful restorations. One... Uh, not of them, another one, Judas, didn't cope with having his blind spot pointed out and ended up committing suicide. So, so why I mention them? Because I wanted to say this, because the principle is, so you don't want to spend your whole life looking at your weakness, by the way. The idea is to use your strength and move on and, and deal with your weakness when you have to. You, you, don't always, you don't spend your whole Christianity looking at your weakness. It's not good for your mental health. Um, but neither is ignoring it. What happens when you find out your true identity, when you look at it properly and you go, oh, I don't like what my true identity is? That's not too big a problem to God because what he wants you to do with your true identity, if you discover something that's freaking out, is go to him and talk about it and then figure out how to get help and and do something about it. Are you harsh and intolerant with others? Don't use truth to make other people look bad. That's not what truth's for. Don't use truth in condemning others in unfruitful ways. 1 Corinthians 8, 1 says, We all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up, while love builds up. Those who are proud in their knowledge don't know fully, but whoever loves God is known by God. Um, so, you know, the principle, remove our own logs first. It, it's, it's just interesting. This, I had someone teach on this and it changed my life. They went to Genesis to the beginning and they talked about the tree of knowledge that Eve wasn't supposed to eat from versus the tree of life that also they weren't supposed to eat from or they would have lived forever and there couldn't have been any redemption. So in a, in a way... God wants us to live out of the tree of life, not of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as humans, there's a, there's a weakness in our flesh, you know, the whole gossip thing, and, you know, and, we, and we want to figure out and have an opinion on what's right and what's wrong. I don't worry about that too much. I don't always need to have an opinion on it. What I like is being able to bring encouragement and understanding and life, <laughs> So just be, be real careful of that whole, you know, really, really opinionated people that are really intense and driving you nuts. You spend time there and it just seems completely fruitless. It just 
wears you out and it feels intense and you go away feeling yuck. It's because they're living out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil all the time. So we remove our own logs first. We take our harsh judgments out of the world. That makes the world a better place. Beware of, my sin is understandable, but no one else's is. Because you know how we hate it if someone else sins against us, but we can never admit if we sin against someone else. We kind of understand why we sinned, but we don't understand why others sin. That just annoys us. What about pride? Pride is over-defensive and blames others. Adjust its theology. Oh, it, it pride adjusts its theology to suit its sin. Whoa, be careful of that one. Humility acknowledges its weakness, apologizes, gets help, remains accountable, and changes step by step. It just has this determination to keep moving towards Christ. Um, this was an, another statement I came across that I think is really helpful. When someone wrongs you, it doesn't mean um, they're all bad and you're all, and you're all good. Why do we do that when someone wrongs us? Like, you know how we handle some things pretty well and we're tolerant, but some things will just hit a nerve. And we act like, you know, they're Satan or something. And you get, I've seen people get so fired up over little things that probably don't matter that much. And they act like they're completely righteous and the other person is completely evil. That's not going to be good for your mental health. So beware of that, because that's going to knock you around. Okay, second point and last point. We all need a pathway to spiritual and emotional freedom. Um, we all need a pathway, all right? I don't know why I thought of this with this point, but the other day... I never used to drink coffee till about two years ago, and I'm a bit addicted to coffee. I only have two a day. But anyway, I had this really bad night. And so the next morning, I, go, I like cold brew, so I buy a cask of cold brew coffee, three C's in it, right, from Soto's at, at Belmont. Anyway, I go in there early one morning, and I'm like, it's one of those mornings where I haven't had my coffee, so my brain hasn't kicked into gear. So I walk in, it's full of people. And this lovely girl says to me, what would you like? <laughs> I can see the cask, but I can't think of the word cask. I can't remember coffee, but I know it starts with k. <laughs> just go. I'm pointing and she doesn't know what I'm doing. And I, all I can come up with is k. <laughs> Everyone looks at me like, who is this guy? He's just k. He can't even say the word coffee. Anyway, we all ended up having a chuckle about it. <laughs> I thought, you have days, don't you? You have days where you, where you fall short. Because we all fall short, we all have weakness. The Bible says, no one is good, no, not one. It also says, we all fall short. Every time you judge, the Holy Spirit is revealing your weakness. Whoa. So I'm not talking about discerning and understanding and knowing what to say no to. And when there's a difficult person, how to handle them. But when we condemn them as evil without knowing where their heart's really at, that, that's not good ground. Every time we do that, the Holy Spirit is revealing a weakness in us. So here's something I had to learn in marriage. This really helps in relationship. Don't give judgment and expect acceptance in return. My wife's a classic. If I point out a weakness in her, 
she points out a weakness in me. Really annoys me. <laughs> but it's really good for me because it wouldn't be good if she was like a doormat and every time I said, oh, why, do you, why do you do that or why do you cook like that or why don't you clean up that part of the house? If she went, oh, yeah, you're right, that makes me feel good, I'll just come. That's not going to be good for the marriage, is it? It's better for her to go, well, what about you, Jacko? Let's pick something in you. But that's what happens in life. When we give judgment, we get judgment in return. And, and that passage I read out actually says that. So it's silly to judge and expect grace in return. We, 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 if we judge, we'll reap what we sow. Sometimes you don't realise how much you need help till you get help. Um, spiritually, this is the whole you know, theology of sin it's in the Gospel of John, um, end of chapter 3, like, we deserve death. It's not like God's going, look, you're really not that bad. It's like, spiritually, we have terminal cancer, not a splinter. So think of that instead of log. Sometimes that, that, makes, that makes more sense. So it's, it's like, that's why we come to God. That's why we need him. That's why sometimes I tell you how hopeless I am at things because you need to do that. Because I'm very, I've become, as I've gotten older, very anti-hero on the earth. I like respecting people and honouring people because we can learn things from fantastic people. But as soon as we make a hero out of them, you know what happens? As soon as they have a weakness or a failure, all of a sudden humans tend to turn on them and then hate them more than they love them in the first place. And I'm thinking, I don't want to be anyone's hero. I just want to follow God. The idea of life is we're not seeking revenge, but we're building a new life of freedom. In Acts 7, Jesus, uh, someone had, whoever wrote Acts, who wrote Acts, Dave? I'm in a bit of a daze tonight. Who wrote the book of Acts? Paul. He has a go at them and he goes, you stiff-necked people, you always resist the Holy Spirit. You judge and persecute righteous people just because they are different to you. You kill relationship with those who expose your sin. You refuse to obey what I tell you. So he, he has a real go. Okay, let me, let, let me finish off, but it'll take, take a little while. Um, so the five most common blind spots, you want to know what they are? So now look for yourself here, not your partner or the person sitting next to you. Because <laughs> I get caught out. I sit in church and someone will do a list like this, and I'm thinking, yeah, Ros really needs to work on herself. I'm going to tell her. The Holy Spirit always taps me on the shoulder and gets just, just do you, and you'll be fine. So here's the five most common blind spot areas. Denial, number one. So that's like um, a stubborn resistance to being teachable on anything. And those people usually have an image that they portray to others and become quite pretentious about who they really are. They don't have a realistic view. Now, you do that for 30 years, you're going to end up with massive mental health issues. I'm not putting people down that have mental health issues. Some have very legitimate ones, but wrong behaviour can lead to it too. So just be careful. Number two, selfishness. It's a classic blind spot. We, we only see things through our own perspective. Um, selfishness can be so bad that some people become extremely arrogant or entitled. Bitterness is number three. Um, 
justifying the wrong behaviour in yourself, very jealous of other people being, being blessed when you're not and being resentful about it. Number four is isolation, disconnected, detached, because you don't like accountability. Whoa. So I like solitude. So it's important for me to be careful to make sure that that doesn't become isolation and never being accountable to anyone. Someone's got to be able to pull you into line. When people are thinking of being senior pastors, especially when they want to have a church overseas or on the mission field, I ask them ruthless questions about their life. I ask them ruthless questions about are they prepared to put their kids through incredible hardship for decades? And they've got to be able to answer them. Do your wife and your kids really want to go on this journey with you? Have you given them a chance to speak into it before you decided what you were going to do? Whoa. Ignorance is the fifth one. This is where people are unteachable, disobedient, and prefer to not know. They've just got an opinion, but they don't want to test it on anything or discuss it because they've made up their mind. And guess what? As humans, when we do that, we're usually wrong. We need someone to tell us. So it might have some truth in it that as you adjust and test it and discuss and talk, it takes better shape and ends up a better form of truth in you that can produce fruit. But until it's tested, it's just worth nothing. That's why we have boards and elders and things like that in church, because those people handle themselves well with pastors when we've got to work through difficult things. So here's a new perspective. I just sat down and, and thought this through. I just see how, how you go with this. Um, you know, so you're getting up to start a new day and you want to do it with God, not, not just on your own. Here's a thought. Start week. Have your prayer night. Go, God, I really need you. Let's, let's start there. Not, aren't I fantastic? I don't want you to grovel because some people have a nice confidence they can go in a day with. Don't let me wreck that for you. Just, just keep doing that. But, but not, look, I'm better than everyone else. You know the guy that prayed, thank you, God, that I'm not like those people over there. Yeah, don't, don't, don't do that. Start weak and admit your need for God. Um, second, just be loved by Christ. Sometimes the best thing you can do is prayer is just to sit there and let God love you. As you walk into the day, you're willing to change. You're willing to admit you're wrong or that you have strength or that you have weakness. Um, I was just thinking of you, Brett. Brett's got a massive business and would have to walk through making lots of important decisions quickly. And he's good at that. So he has to walk in confident. Boom, boom, boom. But he's not a bully. And if there's something uncertain, he's got good guys or people around him that he can go to and get advice or or they can pull it apart. Or if he gets it wrong, he can apologise. That's the kind of boss we all want. So, you know, important not to throw out your confidence because you've got to, you've got to move in it at times. An adult um, really has to take responsibility ultimately for their own misery. No one else is responsible for it. Because misery is a tough thing. We all get it. We get bits of depression and stuff goes wrong. But it's not always what's happened to us. 
It's our response to what's happened to us that determines whether we're miserable or not. So just three steps to help you and then we'll close. First step, humble yourself. The other person is not all bad and us all good. Second step, have a grace mindset. God is with me. He's processing me. He'll use trials to help me and make me stronger. Third step, accept the imperfections of life. Don't personalise every unpleasant thing that happens to you. Um, And I'll just finish with this, because I want to tell you the real reason I preach this message. Um, uh, My dad was brought up in outback Queensland, had a very tough childhood. His mum had mental health issues and used to lock him in cupboards. And when he was 13, she killed herself and tried to kill him. And so he, he had it tough, but he was a good guy and he you know, worked hard to provide for us, made sure we all had an education, moved away from the outback, lived in Sydney, da, da, da. but he was tough and he's harsh. And he wanted, I was his only son at the, you know, for 10 years, so he wanted a humble son. But he, our dads did, didn't like us having any form of pride, so this specialty was keeping our feet on the ground. And I thought it was very harsh. And I judged him for it. So I was well into my 30s before I had any kind of good relationship with my dad based on a wrong judgment that he didn't love me. Craig Wellings, uh, you know, who was an elder in our church, has great people skills. And uh, he and my dad got on very well. And I'd never had one friend that ever got on with my dad. And Craig got on with him really well. And I was whinging about my dad one day. And, and Wellow pulled me up and he said... Your dad loves you. I go, hey, you can't say that. Yes, yes, I can because he tells me. And he boasts about you to me. And he tells me that he loves you. And I go, but he's never told me. It doesn't matter, Zeri. Your dad loves you. And it was like he confronted me and I realised I'd been wrong for 35 years. That's a tough mistake to admit. But better to admit it than go for another 35 and be even more wrong and the disasters that that can cause. And so, you know, over time, my mum died, my sister died, and I had to look after my dad in his latter days. And and we had a a fantastic restoration. But it was only because one friend said, you know what, I think you're wrong. And I've got evidence. (laughs) And that was why I wanted to tell you the message, because... If, if you are wrong in that judgment, some judgments are hard to figure out. And if you're wrong for a long time, don't be stubborn. That, that's, a, that's a dangerous thing to be, to be wrong about, isn't it? So I wanted to finish with that to leave you with a bit of shock. Of, this is actually important. If I need to humble myself, I'm going to humble myself. Thanks, Carly. That was great. Mark, we might, um, can we keep you up on platform for a moment? So we're going to, um, we're going to unpack that a little bit with Mark and we've got Brody. he's going to bring a very COVID safe microphone around. So she'll hold it. If you've got a question, she'll hold it for COVID safety reasons. But um, Mark, you've pastored for over 30 years now, so you've probably seen the results of people growing 
or people not choosing to grow from yeah. the circumstances mm. that they walk through. So um, it'd be interesting to kind of unpack a few of those things okay. with you. Good, thanks. So I've got a question lined up to kick us off and then we'll throw it out to you guys and, and hear what you'd like to hear. You said something interesting in the start. It was about not focusing completely on your weaknesses. Mm. Um, and I've heard it said that if you, um, if you put 100% of your effort into your weakness, you might grow 10%. Yes. But if you put the same effort into your strength, obviously you'll grow 80% yeah. because it's your strength. Yeah. So how, how much would you say we should be kind of considering our blind spots or our weaknesses? How much, how much focus should we give them? It's, it's a good thought. Because when we started the church, I was very unconfident and Bruce Robbo was a very confident person and the church grew because of him, not me and the things he was coming up with. So I had to learn that principle you just taught because I was always working on my weakness. Yeah. Um, so I, I like the figures you said. Yeah. <laughs> I, I reckon that's about right. Yeah. I reckon, you know, 10 to 20% on the weaknesses, 80% on your strengths because your strengths are going to take you where, you, where you've got to go. You just don't want your weaknesses to undermine you and destroy where, you, where you're going to yeah. go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Excellent. Where's Rose? Have you got any questions on the floor yet? I've got a few questions here I can keep on asking. Has anyone got anything? You just pop your hand up and we can get a microphone towards you. Oh, Craig's got a question. Kick us off, Craig. Just repeat that one for a few people that might have heard a muffled mask there. So it was how do you handle, um, when you notice blind spots in other people, how do you handle them with grace? Um, so in my flesh, I get furious. Um, <laughs> but that doesn't help anyone because you would feel that frustration sometimes in yourself with others. So I have to quickly just operate in my spirit and the principles I believe in and understand. So I give them acceptance first. I try and find something to encourage them in. They usually calm down a bit. And then we can kind of have a more honest look at it. So I'll let them talk more, draw out, like make them feel understood, but then kind of zero in on maybe one or two things to work on with that that, that they can make ground with. Because um, there's that thing, some people just hammer you with truth and it just destroys, it destroys your well-being and you, you don't hear anything they say. Um, and it's easy to get it wrong, so I'm very quick to ring them on the way home. I go, listen, I didn't do very well at that. Can we just talk some more about that, or can we meet again next week and have another crack at it? And I, I think that really helps. Um, it's interesting with my youngest daughter, whenever she stayed with us from Sydney, even though we've been talking, we always have our best talk when she's driving home on the freeway, and we just we ring and, and, and we re-talk and it just works really well it's kind of I don't know what you call that principle but it's yeah. but we just I don't know sometimes the second talk's good or you can just go because if people look up to you and sometimes they do with me not, not that they should or shouldn't but if they do sometimes it's like they give me too much authority and if I feel like I've stuffed it for them it's really important to be to be gentle and have another crack at it and and kind of be realer with each other um, yeah, so 
I reckon about one in four, I'll often get back to someone and go, yeah, I didn't do so well. Let's talk some more about that. Yeah, yeah. I'll ask another question myself yeah. <laughs> while we find one. Um, so I've got this one. I guess even myself thinking about weaknesses, it's always been something, do I step up here or do I let my weaknesses hold me back? And so for someone who might be held back by weaknesses or blind spots and, and actually not step up because of that, have you got any um, words of wisdom on people just stepping into their gifts and just stepping up when that's actually, they're very aware of maybe yeah, their, <laughs> their I, weaknesses. There's quite a few answers, but one that I use the most is I just get my eyes onto God and try and do with him like I can remember. I'd been a Christian two weeks and he told me to lead my grandmother to the Lord. You know, she was sick and didn't have long left and I'd never led anyone to God. I didn't know how to do it. I was so nervous, so I'm driving there thinking... I'm going to really screw this up. I'm going to make it worse. That's, you know, that's all the self-talk. But he'd asked me to do it, so I just keep looking at him. Can you be with me? I feel really nervous. Can you? And, you know, and I ask her the question, would you like to receive Christ? And I think, I'm thinking she's going to go, you idiot. <laughs> Not that I'd ever heard say that. She was a very nice lady, but she goes, yeah, I'd love to. And so I tuck that away because next time the flesh tries to cut me off, from obeying or stepping forward, I remember that, what, what the cost would have been if I had a, had a chickened out on that. But I, I also need to know it's God. I don't just charge around thinking, oh, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that. Yeah. <laughs> you, you want to have a sense of it's God leading you. Yeah. Mm. Awesome. Um, what does effective accountability look like? Oh, that's a big question. Um, Everyone grab that one. Effective accountability. Mm, what does effective accountability look like? I think that you're most honest in the relationships that are closest to you and that develops in you the ability to, to be accountable, which is apologising for what you've done or not taking the credit for everything you got right and thanking the team and all those kind of things. But I, I like to take it in. So even when we first came to the church... I knew how important accountability was, not, not to beat me up, but to, but to protect the church from me and me from the church. Uh, I, my, my, the guy that sent me said, don't appoint elders quickly. So for the first two years, I just had an advisory council. And I changed it every six months to see what different guys were like to work with. But what I was really trying to achieve was setting up a safe place of people that could pull me into line or... I could, I could talk to them, even if they were a difficult person, but they had something to offer. If they let me talk them through it, then I'd think, okay, you can, you can stay on it. You can be part of it. So it just, it just starts with making the relationships a little bit closer. Um, different workplaces, it, it does work different. So I, I tell you something interesting. Um, I felt God give me a word for someone on the state executive. This is about at the end of year Christmas thing, about three years ago. And in my understanding of authority is you don't, you don't have words for people that are over you in authority, right? So this was prophesying up really, I don't know, it just works. So I shared with, the, with one of the guys and said, I've got a word for the state president, you know, you think it should be, and can you judge it and tell me if I'm wrong and I'll apologise in front of everyone if it's wrong or it doesn't make sense because I'm wasting everyone's time. And he said, yeah, I'd, I'd, I think you should share it. So I did, and it ended up being well received. But even as I delivered it, I, I said, now you guys 
tell me if I'm wrong, and I'll apologize and repent. You know what I mean? It's, it's like that scripture that says, um, let something be established in the mouths of two or three witnesses. And it talks about accusations against elders in a church. And it says, the one who is wrong has to repent publicly. So if, so, if someone says to you, you know, that pastor so-and-so or that elder, they, they do this wrong, you go, whoa, whoa, that's an accusation. We'll have to take it to them. And if you're wrong, are you prepared to get up in front of the church and repent? So that sobers people. It doesn't scare them away because if it's true, they, they need to do it. But you can't just chuck mud, you know what I mean, or, or, or throw rocks. So the Bible's pretty clear on authority lines and how it works and how accountability works. Yeah. Mm. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. I'm loud and clear. Um, similar to Joe, kind of, within a church context, knowing that we're all, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, one family. Yeah. Um, how can we do accountability well to each other? Because I think there's a bit of a blurred line between um, effective accountability and grace within the church setting as well. So yeah. Can, can you outline that for us? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if I can answer it really well, but the thing that came to me when you're asking that was, Trust is a really big issue. <laughs> you need to feel safe with the person. So you don't want to be... My wife's had to teach me about oversharing. So it's not like you meet someone for the first time and you're like, you seem nice. Let me tell you everything I've ever done wrong. <laughs> um, you just got to take it easy, establish a relationship, get a sense of if this person trustworthy, maybe test the waters with, with small things first. And over time... You can build relationship where you, where you can kind of share with each other. And you don't want a relationship too lopsided where one's, you know, the self-righteous person that's always right and, and you're the grovel who's always wrong. You, even with someone, if you sense that, you know, they're, they're more spiritually mature, you still want a little bit of two-way so that you're sharing uh, authentically with each other. Yeah. Does that help a little bit? Yeah. So trust is, is an issue. Yeah. Mm. Any other questions out there on the floor? Yeah. If you suspect you have a blind spot, <laughs> because many people are telling you, you know, yeah. certain things and you mm. just can't see it, mm. what, what can help you? I, I know the humbling before God, obviously, but are there some questions you can ask yourself or ask them? That would help you. That's, that's, that's a beautiful question. Um, sometimes they can be wrong, by the way. But, but I'm just thinking of the categories in my life of what's my choice of who to go to and going, this doesn't feel right, but everyone's telling me this. So your GP's good to talk to. Elders are good to talk to. Pastors are good to talk to. Friends that you kind of respect. Like I'm even thinking... There's people in the congregation that can answer some of these questions better than me. So don't assume because I'm the one that's getting asked that I'm the expert and know everything. There's, there's people here I could point out that could probably, including you, Jules, that could probably answer some of these things better than me. Can I ask you this? What would your answer be to that question? I, I asked the question because obviously I've been through this. Yes. Um, and it just took so long to see it. And I just think wow. I was too scared to go back to the person and uh. really ask them 
details. Yes. You know, they you get yes. hints from people, or it yeah. might be your kids. It could be your husband, could be your family, yeah. could be uh, friends or whatever, or leaders. Yeah. yeah. But I was always too. Um, uh, what would you say? Insecure. Yes. Because a lot of it is from me insecurity. too. Me too. Yeah. Too insecure to actually really ask the questions. Yeah. Why? Why do you say that? What do you see in me? Yeah. Can't give me some examples. I was just too insecure. And when I yeah. finally got to that point yeah. where I could I could be honest with myself and yeah. open open up that questioning. Yeah. Everything just the relationships went much better. Okay. All the honesty could come out and then I could even explain, oh, this is why. So you more sorted out, you kind of sitting down with God or just self and writing in your journal and working it through? Um, more talking to God yeah. and then asking the right, being open to ask the questions yeah. for people to put, have more input into you. I'll tell you something interesting. About 10 years ago, Roz, you know, had trouble with that kind of thing. So she read a book called Fierce Conversations. It, it was about how to have difficult conversations with people. And she just really embraced it and has completely outgrown me in the ability to have difficult conversations with, with people. So I look to her a fair bit now. I, I still haven't gone on the journey. Um, probably out of insecurity, I don't know. I'm good at aspects of it, but other, other areas I'm not. But she does understand the principles quite well. So just to encourage you all, you know, there's stuff you can get and read that can help you actually be, be good with that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I have a question. No one else. Go for it. I was in a situation where a really significant leader had quite a serious behavioural pattern yeah. that everyone could see except probably him and his supervisor, and it was yeah. put down to a blind spot. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people felt like there needed to be consequences yeah. for the actions, but they weren't because it was a blind spot. Yeah. So I guess I was just wondering, how do you know at what point to have grace for the blind spot? Because mm. um, I think sometimes we said, I don't know, I don't know do blind mm. spots negate the need for a consequence because people aren't aware. It's, it's always good to have a gracious attitude. So you kind of have to start with tolerance, but that doesn't mean you ignore the problem because the question to ask is, if I'm suffering here, will this make other people suffer? And if I remain quiet, does that, you know, enable him to make others suffer? So that's in a way to stop suffering is your motivation for addressing it or bringing it up or going to someone higher in authority in the organisation and making them aware of that. Not so much to dob them in, say, look, I'm just concerned they're a nice person, but I see this and I've experienced this. I think that needs to be addressed or other people are going to be hurt. Um, so that's, that, that's one angle. But I, I try and have a tolerant angle. But can I just tell you, in my flesh, I'm intolerant. So every single time something like that happens, I have to choose <laughs> to be led by the Holy Spirit and be tolerant and have a gracious attitude, but still want the thing addressed. But the, the, I'll tell you how I learnt to address it. First of all, I made this step of thinking, okay, if it was me, how would I like to be addressed if I was making that mistake? So that's a really good thing to do that'll help you know what to say. Now I think if it was my kid that had the problem, I would like them 
addressed like this. And that gave me even a better, because I kind of love my kids better than I love myself. So that gave me a better take again on, on how, how to do with it. Because in some ways on the earth, when you're addressing difficult situations, you, you kind of got to treat each person almost like you would a family member. Just because they're not in your family, they're going, listen, you big jerk. Yeah. Mind you, I've, I've done that and had to apologise later, but um, I haven't done that much. So I think the sense of, you know, God's family, family of man, I don't feel like treating them well. I want to blow their head off, but let me just do some work on myself. Okay, now I'm ready to go in and, and talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Mark. Thanks, Carly. Thanks for unpacking that.